I want to make a deal with you today. It goes like this. I promise to speak slowly, even if it kills me. <laughs> and you are not going to turn your ears or your heart to the words of liberation theology. Don't do like an ignorant me I used to do. When I heard liberation theology, I was here in the United States, very comfortable. And I said, those are things for Latin America. You know, here United States, we're all rich. We don't need that theology. Wrong. Uh, also, I want to make a disclaimer here. Um, I thought, yeah, I had taken courses in liberation theology. I am from Latin America. I know a lot about this. I had read a lot. But when I tackled the sermon, it was another thing. I felt so humble so ignorant, so inadequate. So please bear with me. This is just like a teaser or like a very elemental the liberation theology sermon. So, but still, it has good stuff in it, I think. <laughs> as we will see, this theology of liberation is as relevant to our nation and to each one of us as it is relevant for any part of the globe where there is injustice, unfairness, or oppression of any kind. For where is that place where none of these are present? This revolutionary theology of liberation was developed by Gustavo Gutierrez, a Catholic priest and native of Peru. He lived and worked among the poor of Rimac, a Lima slum, in, and he was a professor of theology at the Catholic University in Lima. At present, he holds the John Cardinal O'Hara Professorship of Theology at the University of Notre Dame. He has published extensively. He has been uh, uh, holding professorships around the United States in many prestigious universities. Um, he has been decorated many times, and he's a very, very important towering figure in liberation theology. When in 1968, Gutierrez delivered his lecture titled, A Theology of Liberation, to a national gathering uh, of lay persons, religious, and priests in Chimbote, Peru, he was planting the seed of his liberating ideas. He already had seen enough suffering and poverty among his compatriots. He had also witnessed the commitment of many men and women working for the liberation of the oppressed in Latin America, many of them Christians. How I am doing? Slow? Okay. Gutierrez's purposes in developing his theology were among others. To pay attention to the critical function of theology with respect to the presence and activity of humankind in history. The most important instance of this presence is the struggle in poor and oppressed countries to construct a just and fraternal society where persons can live with dignity and be the agents of their own destinies. To show 
that the problem that the theology of liberation poses is simultaneously traditional and new. Because the traditional approaches have been exhausted, it is necessary to seek new ones. This led Gutierrez to reconsider the practice of the church in today's world. The situation in Latin America, the only continent among the exploited and oppressed peoples where Christians are in the majority, was especially interesting to him. In other words, liberation theology called to integrity by examining how closely the praxis of the church was aligned with the word that called Christians to bring justice to the poor and the oppressed, following the teachings of liberation in the Old Testament and on those of Jesus in the Gospels. The resulting indictment of the church and the new methods suggested to get rid of poverty and oppression did not please either the, oppressors, the oppressor governments and elites or the Vatican. Thus, one of the main enemies encountered of liberation theology was the, the then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who now is the Pope, as you will know, who declared, an analysis of the phenomenon of liberation theology reveals that it constitutes a fundamental threat to the faith of the church. At the same time, it must be borne in mind that no error could persist unless it contained a grain of truth. So this is very important that he recognizes that because many errors have been made and continue being made, there was some grain of truth in the liberation theology. Any theology or philosophy that commits to the liberation of the oppressed and the poor has to necessarily strive to change the political, economical, and social climates where oppression and totalitarianism exist. These changes, when they happen, invariably come after clashes between the old established order and those promoting the changes. Contrasting, if not lamenting, the enormous changes produced by the application of liberation theology, Ratzinger continues, the crucial concepts are people, community, experiences, and history. Previously, it was the church, namely the Catholic Church in her totality, a totality that spanned time and space and embraced laity, sensus fidei, and hierarchy, magisterium, that constituted the hermeneutical criterion, now is the community. The experience of the community determines the understanding and the interpretation of the scripture. The central tenet and foundation of liberation theology is the preferential option for the poor. This sentence alone demands much, much understanding both in his meaning and its application. You can write volumes on just trying to, to understand what does it mean. Gutierrez said that this concept originated with the following statement by John 23rd, 
a month before the opening of Vatican II. In face of the underdeveloped countries, the church is and wants to be the church of all, and especially the church of the poor. What are the methods used by liberation theology to help liberate the poor and the oppressed? And why had they been so successful? One of the methods was making the Bible accessible to the common people, especially to the peasants and the urban oppressed living under subhuman conditions. This in itself was an amazing revolution. You might not believe it, but when I was growing in Colombia, we were told from the pulpit many times, if you read the Bible by yourself, you are going to become crazy. You can only read the Bible with the guidance of a doctor of the church. So when I came to this country at the tender age of, what, 25 or something, I had never seen a Bible or read a Bible, much less. So I was in this, um, in this ranch in Colorado, and, you know, they always put the Bible in the night tables. <laughs> and with great trepidation, I, I, I need to confess, it was so stupid, but I was so nervous. I said, and I said, you're a grown woman, you're in the United States, nobody's seen you. <laughs> and of course, I opened in the worst possible chapter where somebody's decapitating somebody and, you know. <laughs> and I said, no wonder, you, you become crazy, you don't have somebody. <laughs> and it is true, and I am not making fun because it was very painful. So, anyway, no, you can laugh, but. Even if you are free to read the Bible, very few people, uh, very few people among the poor were able to read or write or understand, and uh, also didn't have much money to buy a Bible. Therefore, by making the Bible accessible to the common people and by encouraging them to understand their lives in the light of the stories in the Gospel and in the Old Testament with their examples of liberation, Liberation theology brought the church, the real church, to them. Now, the people's main interest is not to interpret the Bible, but to interpret life with the help of the Bible. This is the main purpose of liberation. One of the main purposes of liberation theology is to help people, by reading the Bible, interpret their stories in the light of what happened also to other people in the Bible, and to have examples. There is a big distinction between the written Bible and the Bible of life. Life itself is the place where God speaks, according to one of the liberation theologians' masters. Therefore, interpreting their lives is acknowledging God's presence in them. The Bible then becomes a mirror where the, their lives are reflected in the gospel and the gospel is reflected in their lives. It's this concordance. One reflects the other. Another foundation of liberation theology is the base communities. You probably have heard this many times, base communities, created to study and become familiar with the practical teachings of the Bible, to be at home with it. In the early 90s, there were an estimated 80,000 base communities in Brazil alone. It just 
caught by fire. And this is a phenomenon because then many evangelist uh, churches started coming to Latin America and the Catholics were losing numbers because these people came evangelizing and giving the Bible and saying, this is your right. You need to know, you need to be liberated. And so this was a big revolution, it still is. People come to these communities to read the gospel in the context of life, to draw hope, courage, and power from that experience. As one peasant declared, we are coming to understand that the church is us. We better understand the meaning of church when we attempt to improve our condition and the conditions of all the people of our community. Liberation theology, along with the changes contained in Vatican II, has freed the poor and illiterate to participate more fully in the mass. This foundational ritual, formally said in Latin and with the priest turning his back to the congregation, was alienating and exclusivist. Have you ever attended a mass with the priest giving the back to you and Latin, Latin, Latin? Like many times. Now the people attending mass in the base communities are invited to participate by dialoguing and commenting on their reflections on the gospel or by replacing a reading by an account of a significant incident in the community and at other times by replacing the reading of the gospel by a dramatic representation of it. Instead of just reading, they dramatize, they, they take part. Today, thanks to Jonathan, where is Jonathan? Okay. Today, thanks to Jonathan, our music director, and to our great choir, we had the privilege, we had the privilege to hear parts of the famous Misa Criolla, don't forget that name, Misa Criolla, composed by Ariel Ramirez in Spanish, with folkloric music from Argentina. This is a treat. I never expected when I suggested to put a CD with a Misa Criolla that the choir and Jonathan were going to be so masterful. Oh my God. <laughs> Liberation theology born in Latin America has spread around the world. Gutierrez explains, black, Hispanic, Hispanic and Amerindian theologies in the United States Theologies arising in the complex context of Africa, Asia, and the South Pacific, and the specifically fruitful thinking of those who have adopted the feminist perspective. All of this had meant that for the first time in many centuries, theology is being done outside the customary European and North American centers. The result in the so-called first world has been a new kind of dialogue between traditional thinking and new thinking. In addition, outside the Christian sphere, efforts are underway to develop liberation theologies from Jewish and Muslim perspectives. Even the Reverend Fred Muir, I don't know, some of you might know him, he's the minister in Annapolis, adapted a liberation theology for Unitarian Universalists. You know that? There is a, it's a good book, I like it a lot. It's called A Reason for Hope. 
and he developed there, well, he explains, of course, liberation theology and tried to adapt it for liberal, religious liberals, particularly you use. And he developed eight, eight uh, week sessions, uh, workshops, to really, really sensitize people to the need of the poor and the oppressed and to liberate ourselves. We need liberation also. Liberation theology proclaims that the ultimate reason for commitment to the poor and oppressed is not to be found in the social analysis we use, or in human compassion, or in any direct experience we ourselves may have of poverty. These are doubtless valid motives that played an important part in our commitment. As Christians, however, our commitment is grounded in the final analysis in the God of our faith. Now, reading this passage, I wonder who or what is that we claim as the God of our faith? What is that center that compels us to do good, to resist the oppressors in solidarity with the oppressed and the destitute? We use are proud of our commitment to social justice, and I am the first to recognize the amazing victories that we as denomination had reached, have reached through our collective and persistent work in specific issues. The Christians share, share the most valuable tools they have to help people to be free in mind and soul. So do most of the important religions. They proudly proclaim the beauty and salvific effects of their beliefs. What do Unitarian Universalists share? Most importantly, for the task of liberation of those oppressed by divisive and oppressive creeds, how do we share our liberating faith? Where are our missions? We don't have to go door to door like the Mormons because, oh my God, God forbid. But where are the means that we really, really proclaim our faith, that we are proud of it, and we go and say to others, come, come to our faith, particularly those who are searching for it. I, I get so sad sometimes because I remember when I was looking for something like this. And it was because a very, very nice woman Unitarian Universalist insisted. She invited me and I said, no way, no church. But she insisted and said, you belong with us. And here I am preaching to you that you should do the same, invite people. I'm very happy when somebody says, here, Lilia, this is a friend that I just invited today. It's so amazing and it's not so difficult, but we need to be proud of our faith to be able to say, come with me. How can we stretch our imagination and get on with the task of helping liberate others when we are still wrestling nervously, trying to compose our so-called elevator speeches? We are in the elevator speeches and we don't go out and say, this is it, this is what we are. Anyway, I don't want to be too hard on you because you're beautiful people, these churches. The theology of liberation aims at the abolition of injustice of any form of exploitation and to build a new society. However, as Gutierrez recognizes, we will have an authentic theology of liberation 
only when the oppressed themselves can freely raise their voice and express themselves directly and creatively in society and in the heart of the people of God, when they themselves account for the hope which they bear when they are the protagonist of their own liberation. We can easily see how this goes very well with our Unitarian Universalist approach to individual theology and to the self-reliance that we expect of ourselves. However, for the poor and oppressed to be free in totalitarian societies is very difficult, if not impossible. The mass media, particularly TV, inundate our minds these days with images demonstrating this truth. Don't have to tell you what we are seeing these days, even in Wisconsin. Our faith, our religious beliefs, our precious and are precious and urgently needed in a world that is torn apart by the theological waves of self-righteousness, of division between chosen and infidels. Our ethics and theology of a world at peace with justice and freedom for all is calling us to lay down our comfortable cocoons of pride and work for social justice by proxy. Let us be the eager participants in the liberation of the oppressed, whatever form that oppression may take. Here at First Parish, we had many opportunities to be of service within and without our congregation. Just reading the announcements every Sunday or the newsletter, we find enthusiastic and dedicated leaders offering us opportunities to join, to free ourselves, and to help free others. Let us, like Severino, be so strong in our faith that nobody can defeat us in our struggle for justice. May we be full of holy happiness, even as our lives may be full of suffering. May we radiate peace and love, even in the middle of the struggle. May our religious home, this building we call our church in Harvard Square, be the home of the pilgrim at the sojourner. May this beloved spiritual congregation be the home of the ones who come asking for a quiet place to cry, to pray, to regain courage as they continue their human journeys. May we be the holy ground for the countless spiritual seekers, pilgrims of the soul, searching for the home of God. Amen and blessed be. Now, like I like to do sometimes, like a base community, I invite you to share your reflections from Liberation Theology or any other from this service. Um, Elizabeth is ready to pass the microphone. I hope the battery is good and um, that you can share. So here is your chance. If you just raise your hand, I'll come sprinting towards you. No pressure. Hi, I'm a nurse practitioner and I've been in healthcare for uh, decades, unfortunately. And when I think about the oppressed in my life, thank you, I'm usually the one that reminds people to do that. I think about the people, the patients who have little or no access to healthcare, to appropriate healthcare, 
or to people who are manipulated by providers with hidden agendas, sometimes even unknown to themselves. So when I think about what I can do in liberation theology, I think I can take a position that makes a difference for those folks. To be an ally. Um, hi, I'm Lelaine. I'm a counseling psychologist and a professor. And I just, um, I was really excited about today's sermon um, because I've been drawn to my work through um, liberation pedagogy through Paolo Friere. And, um, and the research that I do um, is participatory and I'm always trying to um, kind of go against the academic system and say that, that the participants are actually the most important voices um, in the work that we do and that our research shouldn't just sit on shelves but it should live and breathe um, in the streets and it should be aimed at social justice. So um, as a as a UU for a little while now, um, I'm really glad to, to feel the integration of, of, what I, of my life's work um, with my spiritual community. So thank you. Thank you, welcome. <laughs> thank you, Elizabeth. Um, I'm Steve Hannan. I just wanted to say that, um, to me, uh, religion and the church is most powerful when it has a transformational effect on the participants, and uh, that seems to find a lot of echoes in the liberation theology, so uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, I'm Claudette LeConte, and uh, one thing that I want to be sure that we distinguish is that when we speak of, uh, when we hear about the difference between traditional thought and new thought, that we are talking thought, and that's conceptualization, that's abstraction, and so on, because words are only containers, and that's it. There's one ingredient that cannot be overlooked in this whole dynamic of liberation theology, and that is sense perception. When the oppressed poor began to dramatize their experience, that is using the body, that is the use of body language, in addition, in addition to thought, that was a very new mix, and I want that to be considered. <laughs> Could you please hear what she just said? because you're going to need it a little later. <laughs> oh, just, just excited. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> That's loud, too. Building on what you just said, hi, I'm Susan. I, I've been thinking about how um, in base communities, people learn to tell parables from their own lives. And I'd really love to learn how to be that kind of storyteller in Unitarian Universalism. So I hope we have more of this, Lilia. Hi, I'm Rodrigo Martinez. I grew up in Mexico, and there were basically four 
main religious groups. Um, Catholic, obviously, being the, the majority, split in two. A very few that actually knew and read and believed and behaved accordingly. And then the majority of the other group of Catholics were, were just socially Catholics on Sunday and then didn't really understand or read or behave accordingly. And then the other two groups were some of us that somehow had a knee-jerk reaction to especially Catholicism, but any other organized form uh, of, of uh, religion, really. And then there were the fourth group where different groups of, you know, there's a big Jewish community, there's some you know, Muslim community and other types of communities, but those basically the four. And it was really interesting in the mid-90s, with, uh, especially with the, with the emergence of the guerrilla movement in Chiapas, that the, the Teología de la Liberación, this, this sort of new thing that many of us had never heard of and was really not part of any of those four main groups, somehow touched pieces that allowed people to connect to understand parts of the social injustice that was going on in Mexico, as many other third world countries, that somehow we, we didn't perceive before, or we at least had our eyes covered and didn't really believe that, you know, we know it was there, but you know, that's the poor, they've always been there, they'll always be there. So it was actually a very powerful lens to just see it in a little bit different way. Thank you. Hi, I'm Marcia. Um, I worked in healthcare for many, many years, about 20 years, and worked for Healthcare for All for many years when we were starting the efforts to, or many efforts to expand healthcare. And the, the last campaign that really resulted in the healthcare bill in Massachusetts was really um, grounded in a whole new way beyond the coalitions that we had put together for many years, but involved Greater Boston Interfaith um, and other, other interfaith groups. Um, and it brought a moral grounding. These are you know, groups from many faiths, some Unitarian churches involved, and uh, brought a new moral sense to the issue, but also the involvement of people who were really hurting from the fact that they didn't have insurance and didn't have access to health care and brought their stories to that effort and their um, work together to figure out what family budgets were and what we needed to have for subsidies and that was what was brought to the legislature and people designing the, the bill eventually. So it went from the energy to pass it and the energy and sharing to the nuts and bolts of how this could be built to meet people's needs. So it was a wonderful effort. Thank you, Marcia. Hey, hi, my name is Gonzalo, and I am from uh, Peru. I, uh, uh, well, uh, I am from a middle-class uh, Catholic family in Peru, and I just, uh, I don't know, I just wanted to share the, uh, a few experiences that I had when I, uh, basically, I, I was just basically doing the, the good Catholic thing, which is basically going, trying to go to, to poor regions trying to spread out the word and uh, uh, I just, you know, had, I found my, my Severino case with many times. It was just impressing to see poor people who didn't have, I mean, they didn't have, a, I mean, all their possessions was just a, 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 a tire of a truck where they would keep water and that's all they had. They had nothing else. And yet they, I mean, I would go and try to, you know, tell them, you know, about God and this and that and, you know, we, they ended up teaching me many, many, many more things. Uh, that was one point I wanted to touch, and a second point I wanted to touch was uh, dealing with la teología de la liberación. Uh, that you know, 
it's kind of hard to translate now in, into uh, Muslim terms, but I mean, all this struggle that's happening right now in, in North Africa and, and the Arab Peninsula, I mean, has to do a lot with this. And uh, basically, you know, there's uh, Islam being governed by you know, guys who are there and, you know, kings and monarchy and why not, and the people want to be liberated. They want to choose their own destiny and they want to ultimately, who knows, maybe, know, uh, maybe develop a, a modern way of Islam. I don't know. Might be, hopefully. Thank you. Okay. I'm Helen Glickman. I'm a longtime uh, Unitarian and social worker. And thank you so much for your lovely service and sermon. And it reminded me once again how this is all about the fight for social and economic justice. You brought my two worlds together, social work and Unitarianism. And I also um, sort of saw a covenant through a new set of eyes and ears, I guess in terms of liberation theology, it gave me a, a different lens, and I think this is really what this is all about, why we're here, just hear these words, welcoming all people into the celebration of life, searching for truth and meaning, justice and compassion, to nourish and serve each other, our community and our world. I read that with a new set of eyes, um, hearing about liberation theology, so thank you, and this is why we're all here. Thank you. Okay, um, thank you for your sharing, this is very valuable.